0: Welcome to another episode of Collective Conversations. This is a special lead-in Memorial Day Weekend 2022 episode. I'm your host, Mike Brewer, and today I have an incredibly special guest. Uh, You might recognize him. We were on his podcast recently. Mike Wolber is the Chief Revenue Officer at Rent Dynamics and the dynamic host of Modern Multifamily. I love Mike's podcast. Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Mike, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, Thank you a ton for returning the favor and having me on today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just uh, I I follow your uh, your posts on LinkedIn nearly daily, probably daily, and I am always intrigued by uh, what you share out into the world, and I always found by, or find value in it. So I uh, appreciate what you do out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, same, same to you. Thank you. I I wanted to start out. I was doing a little bit of prep work, which is not traditional. I usually do this stuff right off the cuff, but. Uh, there was something in your LinkedIn bio near the bottom, Healing Reigns. Uh I'm deeply interested in it because my wife volunteers at a similar organization, but here in Atlanta. So I can you tell people what Healing Reigns is and how you were attracted to it?
1: Yeah. So I I spent uh the first big chunk of my multifamily career in Bend, Oregon. And Healing Reigns is a therapeutic riding center, and they're using horses to really restore all sorts of, of health into, into folks, primarily like mental health. And uh, my SVP at the time, uh, his name is CJ Edmonds. He's now the CRO over at Smart Rent. They went public last year via SPAC. Um, he's a, he comes from a, a family that really loves horse riding, specifically his, his oldest daughter. And so he always advocated for things he was passionate about And as our business grew, it was more and more important to do things that were good for the community. And so uh, as we invested in volunteer time off as a business, I actually got pretty plugged in with Healing Reins. A lot of it was on the horse side, specifically taking care of the animals, but also getting involved in some of the therapy with um, people in in various stages of their lives and opened up my eyes to a whole nother side of the world. I'll I'll tell you that for sure.
0: It, uh, I, I'm presupposing that your experiences are, are similar in nature. I, I spent a few days with my wife at the, uh, at the horse farm. And one of the events that really struck me was a, a fundraising event that they did. Uh, and one of the individuals who went through 17 years of equine therapy, I got up to speak. And when she started it at that place, she couldn't speak. And there's something about, the horse riding, I, I wouldn't be able to articulate it, but allowed her to develop to a point where she uh, actually got up there and did a speech. Um, and it was absolutely amazing. I have to imagine you had some of those same observations where you were at.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it was so cool because I started by doing like cleanup for the animals and doing very much like back office things at Healing rains but then had a couple opportunities to actually interact with folks that were, were in the actual therapy side of the program. And it was just so interesting to see people that, you know, lacked confidence for based on what they'd experienced. And when they'd get in front of the horse, they truly loved like a whole nother side of them would come out. And you really just got to see how, um, truly tailored that is to this incredible thing that most people would not even think about. So
0: I completely agree. Yeah. I, I really applaud you. That's a It's an incredible. Uh, I want to call it an organization because I don't know what to call it more broadly, but it's it is a great uh, thing to be involved with on any level, um, even cleaning out the stables. I, it's just incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I agree. Thank you. So, uh, Mike, I want to shift a little bit. I I read something somewhere where you use the phrase "world class curious." world-class curious. And I'm wondering what world-class curious means to Mike. Uh,
1: I'll, I'll try to keep it short. It's your show. And I <laughs> I, I, think of it, I think of it a lot as like, who do you like hanging out with? Do you like hanging out with the know-it-all? Or do you like hanging out with the, the learn-it-all? And early into my school career, I, I just realized that in class or Early in the workplace, like the the person who's curious usually has an opportunity to, to stand out. They go a little bit deeper versus maybe going wider. And for me, I've, um, been fortunate to grow up in this like fast paced technology environment. I'm only 33 years old. And I think as part, part of that, um, I've really just committed to being a forever learner. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite at the bookshelf you have back home, but I'm, I'm quickly working on it. Uh, my wife does not like watching shows with me because I'm watching the show, but googling the fun facts about whatever the thing might be. And I think I I do in a in a geeky way, pride myself on being someone who either knows or will know a lot about a topic. And so, always in the pursuit of improving, and I really just try to embrace that mentality of of always be curious and always be learning. Uh, I I love that. I
0: I smile because my I I do that a lot. My wife and I are watching television, and it's uh, it is it is annoying to her. It's also annoying when you you sort of have an answer to something, and you're like, they can tell you're chomping at the bits, of like <laughs> yeah. this goes. But I, yeah, and that's fun. I I I love that type of kind of open mindset and and always thirsting for for a different level of knowledge. I just think as you learn more, you unpack more, and you you. Probably realize that you really don't know all that much. <laughs> the more you learn, so
1: exactly, totally.
0: Um, you know, another thing that struck me. I uh, and I love this, and I maybe we can go down a little bit of a vein here. Uh, design yourself out of a job, and I think there's a there is a real way to design yourself out of a job today using a lot of the technology that's been presented to us. Some of it's open API and some of it is more closed ecosystem, but what do you think about that topic, designing yourself out of a job?
1: It, what I like about it is it's like the opposite of what we, most of us like grew up thinking or learning or being told. Like I think a lot of times, uh, especially like young, young people in their careers, they want to be the person who does everything. They want to be the person who, when they take a day off, like the business breaks, they want to be the person that is needed everywhere. And early in my career at Nike, um, I wasn't yet working directly for this woman who did become my boss. Her name is Gina Centioli. And she now runs client success globally for a company called Paylocity enterprise um, tech, really cool company. And uh, she, she's the one who coached me on um, always be working towards passing off what you know onto others. Don't mm. hoard it. Don't hoard your knowledge. And I got a more tactical version of that advice when I joined G five. I worked for someone named Patrick Davidson, COO for quite a while at G five. Probably had the biggest impact on my career of anyone you know so far in my thirteen years. And. He coached me really directly when, I, when he saw me being the, like, plug the whole guy, the guy that was raising my hand for everything. Sales calls couldn't work without Mike Wolber. The demo wouldn't work like you needed me. And he said that you will multiply yourself and those around you if you raise the boats for the people you work with and eventually get to the point where you no longer need to do the things you do today. Design yourself out of that job. And at that point, I promise you the next job will be waiting for you or it will come find you. And he kind of just said, trust me. And three years, I went from an entry-level manager to a VP of an org of 90 at G5 because of that advice. And I really believe that um, that multiplier mentality and not hoarding expertise uh, are are things that earlier in your career, you can embrace that, the better you'll become.
0: I I want to... I wanna maybe talk a little bit about um when you say manage you directly, I might what came to mind for me is he's very candid with you. And I also noticed that you read Kim Scott's book, uh, radically radical candor, I believe is the name of the book, orange uh, sleeve. But um is that the kind of candor uh that he used to to lead manage you? And if so, what would you tell our audience uh is beneficial about that? style of leadership and are you employing that type of leadership with your team
1: Yeah it you know it's it's interesting like are you familiar with like the five love languages I am So it's funny cuz I <clears throat> I think about those a lot in work and I know that like you have to be mindful of which of those are applicable to work probably not physical touch but I'd say some of the other <laughs> ones are very applicable to work right Definitely. And I say that as a joke but <laughs> you know the five love languages to me really opened up my kind of thought process as it relates to managing or being a mentor to people in the workplace, because the way that that book is written is it helps you understand how you like to receive love, but also how you like to give love. And if I like to give love through words of affirmation, but you like to receive love through acts of service, like we got to work together to make sure that we can grow together. And I think that analogy really works in, in business because I am an energy person. You see that from me on LinkedIn. We've gotten to know each other recently. I'm a hoorah guy, and so I do like to provide energy, to create words of affirmation, to celebrate success. But a lot of people don't like being on the center stage. I think you're you're that way, and it's really important to make sure that when you're you know celebrating, that you're celebrating in a way that that person's going to actually receive that gratitude in a way that makes sense for them. And verbosity aside, because I know this is like a long winded answer. I think one of the neat things about the relationship with Patrick is that he really learned early how I liked to receive feedback. He asked me like, how, how can I best provide feedback to you in a way that is going to make you feel safe, but also make you feel empowered to take action because I can help you grow in your career. And I said, eight years into this career I've been working on, no one has ever been upfront with me on where I'm good and where I'm weak. Please be bold. And right away those kinds of feedback loops were opened up in real time and he would say i'm seeing you in the business i'm seeing you be the hero guy stop it schedule time cascading your expertise train others how to run the demo and i i just really think that as soon as he opened up that how can i give you feedback and i told him we both skyrocketed
0: wow that thank you for sharing that i it it just comes to mind for me, for our for our audience, those of you who are leading or been given the opportunity, really the privilege to lead other people. That question, how do you like to receive feedback is super important? That's that's a punchline. I love that. I yeah, love so that. I,
1: I don't I don't call it the five love languages at work, but I definitely survey new team members, um, both frontline that I manage directly and second line that are part of my my orgs that I'm responsible for. And it's, it's nice because, you know, there are folks that really like to receive it asynchronously Slack or email, and that's great. And then there are people that like a phone call. They don't like the digital reaction of having to react over a call, my, my remote teams. So no problem. And there are people that like that, you know, that figurative punch to the face right away, be upfront and be honest. And as you can kind of codify and figure out where your people are, you can meet them where their expectations, expectations are, and you can really hit the like lightning button, which feels fun to go fast.
0: Oh, so much fun. So much fun. And you, you know, I, I do have to make this remark to one of the points you made about, about me and it's, it's not about me, but because I'm an introverted shy Persian person, if you were to, if you were going to recognize me for something some sort of accomplishment in anything do not ask me to go up on stage to re, to receive that. That is like dying a thousand deaths for someone like myself and it, it takes away from the impact of giving the, the feedback or the reward or whatever it is.
1: So. it's just so important. I mean I I went nine months into managing someone um, and I had had not done this with this this specific employee at the time. He closed a huge deal, called him to go nuts on him to say congrats. And he said, Mike, your feedback is exhausting. Like, you're, it like broke my heart.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I (laughs) did,
1: though. And that was like my turning point because he managed up to me. He said, Your hoorah is killing me. And it made me realize, well, like, how how else can I celebrate you? He said, Pay me. (laughs) And, And it really like transformed my perspective. Of, of what it looks like to individualize how you celebrate, how you provide feedback, both critical and constructive. And as a leader, I think individualizing your style, not being selfish in doing what you're comfortable with, but catering it to your employee. I think that's how you go from being a manager to
0: a leader. Oh, so well said. So well said. And and it it really is important. And I think you know, as the youth make their way into our, I can say youth because I'm like 50 years old, but make their way into the work world, that, that personalization or that customization of leadership is so much more pronounced than it was in back when I got in, you know, the early innings of my career, or even my mom or my dad being in the workplace is just so much different today. Um, But to me, so much more full of impact when you when you really tailor it to the way that someone likes to be led. By the way, there is a business version of that love language book. I, I can't remember who wrote it, but I read it not too long ago. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I have too. I've just never embraced it like I have the five love languages. And so I've never adopted the like narrative of that, even though I've, I've read it as well. But I, I've, I've almost just adapted you know my own style into how do you like to receive feedback? When you have a win, what's the best way I can celebrate you? you know, a G5, I had a girl on my team, a woman on my team. And she's like, I just want extra time off. I love being in the woods. And so, you know, she'd have a big win. I'd surprise her with an extra week of PTO and wouldn't tell other people. And she felt rejoiced. So did I. And I just think that kind of stuff, like that's where you really start to move mountains together and build, build advocates as well.
0: Oh, so true. So, so true. So I, I do have to remark on your energy. I Went way back into your LinkedIn, and I saw a TikTok video that you did, oh. <laughs> where you strutted out in front of a step and repeat. And you, and Social you did Media Summit
1: 2021.
0: I, I I picked up on the skiing. Uh, right, that was pretty awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, my uh my my team was pretty bummed at me that I did that. They they didn't want me to, but uh you got to let the micisms come out from
0: time to time, and that is a Mike-ism. It was fantastic and the let's go t-shirt i got I, I have to get me a let's go t-shirt. that's awesome yeah, we, we can make that happen i uh okay so podcasts i I think in my heart of hearts podcasts have been around for a long time or at least I think they've been around for a long time um but I see more and more people uh, dipping their toe in the water or going all in on podcasting and certainly I think podcasting serves multiple purposes. Um, I'm interested to hear your take because I, I think there is a piece of my audience that is interested in this topic. People have emailed me directly or DM would me and asked me about podcasts and how you get in and talk to me about how you use the podcast as it relates to, I, I imagine it's a little bit of B2B, but there's probably some personal branding. I, let me, you tell us. What do you use? Yeah. I mean, for? let's like really dig into this.
1: Cause this should be a fun back and forth. Like when I left G5, I was really nervous that the audience I'd developed, uh, digitally, um, and you know, human to human, that they were going to lose trust in me, that I was going from being the evangelist of G5 to the evangelist and like, you know, front man of rent dynamics. Cause with my personality, that is a role I step into very naturally. And, I was nervous that you know, hey man, you just ambassadored G five as being the place to do business in prop tech, and now it's Rent Dynamics. Like we're, that, that doesn't sound authentic, even though they're in different categories. Sure. And I'd also realized, you know, throughout my time at G five, really first time being in a in a true sales organization and building one. Um, people buy from people more than they buy from the company. If if you create an awful experience, good luck, getting them to say yes to your technology. And you've got to represent good technology in order to win on both sides. And as I looked left and right in the industry, I didn't see a lot of people in my peer group that were really investing in a personal brand. And I also saw an opportunity to not only double down on my personal brand, but to create a story that could be my own, not my businesses. And so Modern Multifamily was really born out of something I believe in, which is a real commitment to probably being in this industry for the duration of my career. I love the intersection of real estate and technology, but also having a story that can be my own, not attached to my business. So Modern Multifamily, this narrative of, of progressing the industry has certainly turned in to a B2B vehicle for our business. We're definitely generating an audience through it, but you don't hear me talk about CRM or credit reporting or contact centers more than maybe the occasional time a guest answers a question or asks me a question. And again, I think the authenticity is really there now that we're getting close to 40 episodes.
0: Yeah. I, I won't go so far as to say that I've heard all 40 episodes, but I, my imagination tells me I've, I've heard the lion's share of them. And I I do listen to them on two times speed, full candor. (laughs) So does Moshe. So does Moshe Crane. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I love two times speed And, and Spotify at three and a half times speed. I have not quite Train my brain to listen at that speed, but it's pretty awesome. You, you, and yes, yeah, so the point to that remark is this: I can testify to the fact you don't talk about it all that much, and you're you really are extrapolating what I think are fun uh, pieces of content that are fully applicable to people, be it on a personal brand side and or application to become a better professional. I, like the leasing series comes to mind for me, something you did two or three months ago, plus minus. Uh, and even though I don't lease today, I I did lease at one point in my career, I just saw so much value in what you were pulling out of those individuals and, and sharing into the, to the multifamily space is pretty awesome.
1: And, and, you know, it's one of those things that it was an accident. Like I, I talked to Becky Smith and she's corporate level owns leasing for WPM. She introduced me to, um, Lindsay who introduced me to Jess, like, and the snowball was grown from there. And. I gained 600 followers with leasing consultant in their title in three months and told a story that truly impacted a segment of our industry that doesn't have a lot of content to consume, but we extracted B2B value out of that. And we're deploying a leasing guide for the industry next week. We listened to dozens of conversations met with hundreds of leasing people one-on-one and we put together a 30 page guide on how to codify leasing in the industry and we're going to deploy it for free next week. And so like you see the parallels between good content and good marketing. And so again, like building an audience, that's a big part of our strategy. Um, but also having fun and and creating real value.
0: So the, the, I guess the analytic people out in the audience are going to go where they're going to ask, where is the ROI in all of this? Because it's doing a podcast is not, it takes time, right? If you're, even, even the podcast that like this one, this is a labor of love. I do it off the cuff, it's not scripted. I don't edit it. I just do it and publish it, but that still takes time. Right. So what do you say to the person who says, I just don't see the, the value in doing that in terms of an ROI or how do you measure it?
1: Uh, I, Aside I think from- about it. I think about it in a few different ways, Mike. And I think anyone who is is passionate about marketing or measurement, uh, I would encourage you to follow someone on LinkedIn. His name's Chris Walker. He's the CEO mm-hmm. of Refine Labs, and I think he's really doing a lot to create a narrative that's understandable for what the modern marketer should be thinking about. And mm-hmm. what he's really encouraging his audience huge, huge audience at this point. Refine Labs has probably grown by 20x and see double down on LinkedIn. is this phenomenon of dark social. The fact that a high percentage of buyers are connecting with content that's hard to measure. They're in Discord groups, they're in Slack communities, they're listening to podcasts, they're in LinkedIn comments. You can't attribute that at all as a marketer because it's not an email, it's not a direct inbound response, but they are winning the hearts and minds of future buyers. They are building demand and when that person's ready to buy, they're raising their hand to the people that they've consumed content from. So my my tell to my manager, who's our CEO, to my marketing org, we have a team of three, is that be comfortable doing things that are hard to measure, knowing and believing that the result will come. And that's hard in a world of short-term, fast-paced results, but you've gotta find comfort there. And for me, if you look to our competitors, uh, who I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for, because they've built the categories we sit in, they are not doing the things that we are doing. And I really believe that long tail,
0: there will be a material impact to our business because of it. Oh, define long tail for us. I I know the audience would be interested in knowing what that means because that's a big word or a big phrase. Yeah,
1: I think like, you know, short tail, you think about if we do something now in the next two or three months, we're going to see a result. NA is mm-hmm. next month. We got 6,000 emails yesterday. We're going to send them all an email once a week for the next six weeks. And we'll hopefully book a hundred demos at NAA. And hopefully we close 8% of those as as deals in Q3. That would be a short tail to me, measurable. To me, I'm betting that on 2024, we're the biggest CRM in our industry. And that's long tail. That's the And it's like playing the long game. It's playing the long commitment to building trust with the industry, winning hearts and minds, talking with people like you, who I have never pitched a product to, but trusting that when the time is right, there's surely an opportunity for us to collaborate. And we'll have so much trust for each other that if we get to a deal, we'll have tremendous trust that we'll take great care of one another. And that's the um, commitment I'm making as our zero to our future customers.
0: Yeah. I, I really encourage everyone to take what Mike just said and employ that in your business or even in your personal brand it's over a very long bit of time you build these deep seated relationships and you know the the biggest evidence of that is when you walk into a conference having ne- never met that person in person or meeting them for the first time they feel like an old friend right and and it's on the basis of the trust that you've built over this just drip 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 forever right exactly and to,
1: it Sorry to interrupt you. There's there's nope. something I I think about a lot and I don't <clears throat> talk about a lot on LinkedIn cuz I still struggle with imposter syndrome on LinkedIn. Um <laughs> but uh it's just like give 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 ask model. Yeah. Give a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount. I mean, we just had someone on our team fly out to Chicago to help a customer that we don't work with at all. So they're they're a prospect and we flew out and we helped m- run a charity for their organization because we had the right people to go help do the charity. That was truly the reason why it was not with the, the intentions of a demo or anything like that. But again, like the bet I will make is that if you give, 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 when it, when it is time to make an ask, your, your probability of success is so much higher, but you got to play the long game. You got to play the long game.
0: That That's right. And I, so something comes to mind for me, and I hope I can articulate this in a way that makes sense to, and it, it 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 will lead to a question so many many years ago i sent an email to seth godin because his email address was on his website and i didn't think anything about it and i had you know no illusions that he would write back but within like 15 seconds he actually wrote back and the the question that i posed to him was something along the lines of how much marketing is too much marketing or branding too much marketing or too much branding and he wrote back and he said there is Never too much, right? It's when that prospect is ready to buy, you better be there. And every prospect is at a different place all the time, right? You're the one that has to be consistent over the very long bit of time. So you just said imposter syndrome about LinkedIn, and I understand what that means. But my big punchline question here is. And I grapple with this too much content on LinkedIn, you know, putting it out there too much being interviewed or interviewing. And then just how much is too much in your head? If that is even a thing, <laughs> I I think
1: you just nailed it. If I'm being honest, I think it's in your head. If, if you can clear out the in your head piece, I think it's infinite because even if you think about it technically through the perspective of an algorithm, I have 3600 followers on LinkedIn, you're at 12,900 and when I do a post, a good post for me reaches 2 to 4000 people and gets 50 to 150 likes and 10 to 30 comments. A fraction of my audience, let alone my future audience is actually seeing that content and then the right selection chooses to engage. So I truly believe we could all be promoting or producing 10x even what the the high performing producers you know promote at but you've got to get your head out of the way because I think we all run into that imposter syndrome or, oh, they don't want to hear from me again today. Yeah, it'll be a different person who's going to see that. That's a good thing. And and I think that's where being in a few different um, mediums to me has been helpful, Twitter versus LinkedIn versus podcast, because it gives me a little bit of um, grace in my head to feel like I'm talking to unique people at different times, even though it's all working towards a, a relatively common goal. But I truly believe everyone could be going stronger than they are today and, and probably be just fine.
0: I, you know, it, it does bring to mind, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. He put out like a 364 page deck that really disclosed all of the tactics that they used to what he says is over indexing every single <laughs> social media platform out there. It just is brought to mind that that's his, his strategy It's just go all in and, Multiple times a day on multiple platforms. Now he has a team. Not not everybody can do that. But.
1: Yeah, I mean Gary V is the king of be everywhere. You know, like and and V everywhere. Vcon was last week, and their whole thing was, how many times a day are you posting on on TikTok? Five. That's not enough. Go to ten. Like yeah. and and the the reality is that the data does tell you that the more you do, two great things happen. One, you get better at that craft, copywriting or storytelling or whatever which I'm sure you've probably become a better storyteller or communicator through multifamily collective.
0: Oh yes. I I like to think so.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think the other thing is like you get better at what you're doing and you also start to get meaningful data so you can start iterating towards where the results are coming from. But again, long game. If you try to only make the call in 90 days, what's working, what's not, that's not enough data. Like you got to go for a year, you got to go for a year you got to send th- 10,000 emails this year. If you want to know what email works, you can't just do it for a month and call yourself a cold caller. Like you, <laughs> I think that's where like, if you're going to try something like fail fast, but fail forward and like really work on it. Otherwise people quit way too
0: early before they really learn where they can get the the most juice. You know, I, I believe that in my heart of hearts. I have, I have a partner in multifamily collective, Sharon Kaufman, and she, she is just an amazing human being. And, we were talking about this very subject the other night, and and one of the things that I said to her in response to a question, I can't remember what the question was specifically, but so um, I started blogging in 2006 uh, when when blog was like people thought that was like clearing your throat or you know something like that. It just wasn't they didn't know it to be. hey, It's just an article. It's just a digital version of it. But so um, and what I saw, what I made observation of over a long bit of time, is that. Everybody sort of piles in, starts blogging, and then attrition happens, right? And people just fall out to your point. People just fall out and you're still around. And then the next thing comes along, you become a practitioner of that. All of a sudden, all the people dive in, right? And everybody's doing their version of it. So let's say it's six, nine, 12 months removed, a bunch of people fall out and you just keep going. You just keep going. You, there is no end game to this. You just keep going to your points about getting better at your craft you yeah. have that same sort of long-term vision of, of things I have to and believe. It,
1: it's what inspired yesterday's LinkedIn post. You know, like <laughs> I think as we think about even something like what we share in common in mm-hmm. podcasting, I think it's super common for people to spend way too long over-analyzing with like a perfection mindset versus just trying and committing to getting better over time. And, and even seeing if it gives you energy, because if it doesn't give you energy, then don't waste your time. If it's a drain for you, yeah. why would you do that? But like if if you get energy, joy, or value out of doing the thing, then go get great at it and take take time and and I, I just think that's where like the more we try, the more we do, the faster we go, the better our lives become, and you can minimize the drain and optimize towards the energy and I'll tell you, Mike, that like I'm at a point in my career and like with my family life that I truly love everything that I'm doing right now. I love the people I work with, the company I work for, I look forward to my family constantly I can't wait to get home and like that feels like a hack but it wasn't an accident I've just designed a life that's full of energy
0: I I love it so I have to ask the question so family you have great toil you have great family what is it that you do in or out of work that sort of feeds you personally so that you show up with energy for your wife your energy for your work I have to believe there's some sort of Called physical activity, exercise, something of that nature that, that you use to feed yourself?
1: So, <laughs> a couple things and cut me off of it gets annoying. So, um, <laughs> we, we're up, we have two kids now. Uh, we have a five year old, uh, his last day of preschools today. So, he'll start kindergarten this fall. And then our little girl just turned three. Her name's Quinn. And I'll tell you that I went from being this like endurance nut, racing marathons, Ironman's crazy endurance guy um, to like that didn't feel right as we started having kids and raising a family. And what I've really fallen in love with is invisible time, like time that is invisible to my family, which the only time is in the morning, five to seven when my family's all sleeping. So I am up every day from five to seven, um, meditating, lifting weights, running, um, enjoying good coffee. And that is time for me to invest in myself fully, fully selfishly, but unselfishly because it's invisible. So that to me is like a, a radical necessity when I'm traveling or when I'm not, you can always find me enjoying my time before anyone else is up. So that's the
0: first thing. Uh, I, I love it. I have to ask about meditation. Like talk to me about meditation, use an app or have you gotten to the point where you just do your own thing?
1: Yeah. So sh- shout out to Olivia Johnson, a uh, VP of CX over at G five, um, we were in New York city years ago for a big, big client pitch. And, um, she sold me on this app called headspace. So she got me on headspace. And so I like what I bought, I texted my wife. I was like, can I spend $65 and buy this for the year? <laughs> and she goes, yeah. And, uh, and so I bought headspace, did it for the full year, canceled headspace. And now I just, it's just me and me. So now, now mm-hmm. it's just myself, but it trained me how to shut things off. Cause what was really hard for me early days of meditating is I could not Tune it out. And so that gave me the inability to like tune in to myself with meditation. But now, 5, 10, 15 minutes alone, sitting down, um, I'm really able to like collect my thoughts, re energize um, after a meeting if I need to, between calls, if I get overwhelmed. Um, meditation is, is a really powerful vehicle for me now.
0: So, what do you say to people who say, every time I attempt to do meditation, my mind just fills up with thoughts. And so I don't see the point. What do you say to that individual?
1: I say the exact same thing to that person that I do. The person that wants to give up their LinkedIn posting too early, keep going. (laughs) And you, you have practice. It does take a minute to be able to tune off thoughts or distractions, or to be able to figure out that a big part of meditation is that that's your time. And it's okay if you're, thinking about a few other things like you're meditating and and what's your goal out of that meditation session. Maybe it's just a cool off after a tough conversation or, or maybe it's to come out of that meditation with really clear intentions for the day ahead. And you make that time about deciding what your intentions are going to be, what what it means to you, what it means to me are different. And that's the beauty of something as ambiguous, but powerful as meditation.
0: I, I, I believe that. And I agree with that a hundred percent. And, And I think for whatever this is worth to people who are practicing meditation uh, or attempting to practice meditation is that the, the rep in meditation is when that thought is there bringing yourself back to, if it's whatever type of meditation you're doing, bringing yourself back. The rep is, if you didn't have those things enter your head, you wouldn't have the opportunity to do the rep that is meditation, right? Exactly. 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 Yeah. So to Mike's point, you just have to practice and it. It is hard, but over time, the the benefits of meditation are incredible, incredible. And I the
1: the last thing, Mike, on like the family balance front, like mic time invisible time is important. Something I've gotten really good at. And my wife's pushed me really hard on this because I was the epitome of the hanging out with the kids, but checking my email or Slack thing. And she'd be like wanting to kick my phone. Like, and she's Ooh. kind, she's never kicked my phone, but, um, <laughs> We like really developed this new like alignment as, as partners and spouses. And, you know, we're best friends. She's the, she's everything to me. Um, be where your feet are. And I think the busier my life has gotten, the more important, like right now, my phone's on airplane mode and it's across the office and I'm with Mike Brewer for the next hour and does not matter. And taking my family camping this weekend and I'll be home in an hour, an hour and a half or so. And my phone is going to be off to the world. And I'm with my babies and my bride and my two dogs. And that's taken me a long time to get good at. And it's also hard at times because when I travel for work, April knows I'm impossible to get a hold of from 6 a.m. to midnight because I'm all in. Yeah. But we win together by knowing that when I'm home or when I'm at work or when we're on a date, I'm being where my feet are. And that's become something that I'm sure there's a book about that. That's probably a book title. But that, that is something I really, really do believe if you can just really operate in focusing on what's at hand, that person gets the best out of you. And again, going all in like great things happen. If that's not a
0: book, you should write that book and take that
1: title. (laughs) I'm going to check. Let me check. I'm going to be where your feet are. Yep, it is. So be where your feet are seven principles to keep something by someone. It's a book. Oh. anyways, here we are. Here we are. Maybe we'll come up with a podcast. And we'll do it in the future. I love it. I love it. I love it.
0: I, so I'm, I'm going to take a hard left or a hard right. And, uh, something that I think is in, incredibly important, you know, so, and this is under, in the vein of marketing there, there is sort of this, uh, not sort of, there is external marketing that we do, um, certainly to draw attention uh, from the audience that we're, we're trying to do, um, you know, business with or create relationship with, but there also is this internal marketing thing that is equally, if not more important than external marketing. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean,
1: <laughs> it's, it's crazy because I think that requires some like definition because I think about it a lot as like a, a business leader. Like to me, marketing to our future customers versus marketing to our current customers is something that a lot of companies can get wrong. And we're telling this incredible story to the future customers that we've got the best product, the best product team. We're innovative. We've been first to market. We've also been the second or third to market intentionally because we got it right when our competitors didn't. And then I've gone to meet with our customers and they have not felt the love because they didn't know about these innovative messages that we were telling the market even though we've turned on all this functionality, they didn't know about it. And so I think there's like this this like business re- reality that marketing to your future customers is important. But marketing to your, your current customers to keep them raving fans is in my mind more important because nothing's more important than keeping your current customers glued to their chairs with, with you being their chair. Um hmm. but then I think about it a lot with like myself, even like the internal marketing I do to myself each day because I I was slow to get active on social media because it took me a minute to, to know what my goal was going to be in social media. And what I've really decided is that I want to be someone that people trust and like trust is a big part of my goal with social. Um, but I have to spend a lot of time marketing to myself to keep myself accountable to like that true, like mission and premise because it's easy for me to like shift gears and get too far to the left or far to the right, so I do a lot of marketing to myself to make sure I keep myself, you know, focused, but also consuming good marketing too from people like you, which gives me a good idea to understand where where I can find um, value for the people I'm getting to know digitally, which has been fun these past few years. I'm not sure if I took that the right direction.
0: I, I, I there was no right or wrong answer to it. I, I, uh, I, I think the only other piece that might be interesting is that i i think that there is internal marketing as it relates to your uh company so if you're rolling out a new oh yeah uh, thing in your company that thing needs a campaign right so people get really engaged in it as opposed to like just shooting out an email at you know some random hour of the day hey look out for this <laughs> oh yeah i
1: mean yeah we've all worked for companies that are great companies that are okay companies that we probably wanted to run away from pretty quickly and there's this like intangible hard to measure benefit in a business that gets momentum and i think momentum is like really hard to stop once that snowball starts to roll and you're you're spot on mike i mean we we do a lot here i've done a lot in past companies too to really invest in raising the conviction bar because my belief is that whether you're a seller or a marketer a product manager, an account manager, a support agent, a customer customer care agent taking tier one support calls. If you believe that we're a good company, if you believe that we have a good product, if you believe that we give a crap about our customers, truly, um, your conviction will stay high. And if you get a job offer and it's a lot of money, you'll you'll come to us first before you accept it, and yeah. we'll take care of you. And if a customer's upset, you'll have confidence going back that we're going to take care of them. And you're spot on. I think, I think internal marketing, internal conviction, internal morale, managing those things, um, especially right now with all the weirdness, um,
0: it's never been more important. I, I could not agree more. Um, yeah, it's, there, there is a lot of noise in the world and, and that noise produces a lot of distraction, right. And, and to yeah. the extent that we're, that we're intentional about keeping messages in front of people, especially messages that are uplifting and inspiring and motivating and, and certainly informational and entertaining. And you, you can only benefit from that if you're, if you're keeping it out in front of them all of the time. Totally. I agree. <laughs> um, So I, ha- I have two sort of wrap up questions and okay. I ke- I can't leave the the personal thing without asking you this. Are there, books and or people um, outside the industry, I'm, I'm thinking like really big now, just people or books that have really influenced you and continue to influence you as a person and, and certainly play themselves out uh, in the way you show up for people where your feet are.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's an awesome question. And and I, I, I get this question a lot. I think about this question a lot. I mean, I, I love literature. I love, I love learning. Um, I love Patrick Lencioni. I've learned a lot Mm -hmm. from Patrick's style of, of practical application in business and in leadership. And I love his philosophy of disagree and commit, Mm -hmm. um, highly functioning leadership teams need to be able to disagree but then commit to an outcome. And that's what keeps you aligned in the eye of your business, which is really, really important. But like long, longer answer than you're looking for. But Mike, the thing that's like truly transformed my career and um, not just my career, but like my identity as a husband or a father has been the power of mentorship Mm -hmm. and reaching out to people that have made the mistakes that I want to avoid and taking advantage of that and being okay saying, hey, I've never been a CRO before and I want to crush it. And I'm going to reach out to the three that I aspire to be and see if I can get an hour on their calendar once a quarter. And now they're giving me an hour a week and I'm hijacking the heck out of my career with their help. And people that were fathers that struggled to find balance between work and home. I called someone, he was at the time the president of Steadfast and he said, quit doing Ironmans. You will not regret slowing down your endurance stuff to focus on your family. And I did it immediately. And he was so right. And that was in 2017. And so the power of mentorship. And that's where you get the books, you get the ideas, you get the podcast, but nothing is like these kinds of conversations. And I cannot encourage enough for people to shoot their shot and go ask for time because the reality is that people like you, Mike, you will give time.
0: That that's right. I yeah, I don't I don't know when that happened for me, but let let's say it was 45, 46, 47 years old. It at some point it was you sort of have this internal thing where you just want to get back and it, and it doesn't matter. You'll answer anyone who calls you, um, five minutes or an hour doesn't matter. And it generally doesn't matter what time of the day or night they need something, you know, you just do it. uh, Um, because you know, somebody fed you along the way and it's, it's your turn to get back. So. Exactly. All right. I, I want to end cap with, uh, If you were to see around the corner as it relates to to MarTech and how it is evolving, what what do you see around the corner?
1: I'll be a little bit optimistic on the answer and I'll be around the corner thinking like a year and a half, not, not Q3. Um, but like that, I'm still gonna answer your question, but but I'm going to just give some context to the audience because I'm going to answer, but I'm going to be an optimist, which means I need at least 12 months for the industry to make some course corrections. I, I believe that companies like Salesforce in the enterprise have set the expectation that no matter who you are, that you have the privilege of being able to choose the best technologies to solve your problems And those technologies will work together harmoniously to make sure the data flows back and forth so you can provide a good experience for the users of the tool as well as the person who receives the experience, usually a customer. In our world, we're still in a relatively closed ecosystem environment. It's easier for most most of our modern buyers in the industry to work with a couple consolidated vendors or to build on their own. And I believe that the industry is, is quickly realizing that the best path forward to modernize and move fast is to open up the ecosystem. And yeah. I do believe that the winners in our industry, um, and the companies, both on the operator side where you sit and the technology side, where I sit, that are going to be in the high and to the right category are going to agree that we have to drop our ego and to connect and collaborate and to share yeah. data. It's your data, not ours anyways. That's and right. I do believe that we're moving towards an open, open ecosystem. And I believe as we get there, um, the, the world is going to open up in terms of opportunity for this industry. And I do believe though, that that's not just North star, but, but where the modern leaders in the space on your seat, but mine as well are heading. I'm inspired and
0: in full agreement. <laughs> that is, that's something I've been dreaming about for 25 years, plus or minus, um, And and I can't wait for the day that that, that, that happens. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, anything, Mike, I want to give you the opportunity to share, um, what your company rent dynamics does certainly. Um, but if you wouldn't mind in capping with just an off the cuff piece of wisdom or sage advice for our audience, both our viewers and our our listeners, I I would just love that. Uh, and then tell people where they can uh, find you.
1: Yeah, so uh really quick rent dynamics. Uh we turn 10 next month. Uh we've got three core product offerings. We're a contact center. We serve about 300,000 units just in contact center business. We've got uh, Rent Plus where we're reporting on-time rent payments to the credit bureaus to help residents establish and improve credit and sharing back some revenue to our clients, so there's an ancillary revenue portion as well. And then we have a CRM, which is the product I'm most excited about and The reality is that changing CRMs is really hard. And so my ask to the industry is if you're ever interested in just peeking over the fence, I'd love to show you what we're up to, to get some feedback, to make sure we're heading in in the right direction. Uh, And as a business, we just crossed a million units served. So we just crossed a million units that are served on our platform. So we're definitely growing in the right direction with good retention, but also great growth.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Um, Wisdom or mentorship or just kind of a thought to your audience, um, I would encourage you to seek connection and a network. Um, Don't just follow someone on LinkedIn, Um, engage with them, comment, DM them, um, ask for 15 minutes, send them a gift card and say, can I get 10 minutes of black coffee time with you just to chat? (laughs) And my belief there is that good things happen when you shoot your shot. They really, really do. And um, if you want to test it, test it on me. I promise I'll be an easy, an easy first go on that. And, uh, aside from that, getting in touch with me is really easy. I'm on LinkedIn all day. So Mike Wolber, you can find me anywhere on LinkedIn. Otherwise if you want to get a hold of me via email. It's just Mike dot at rent dynamics.com.
0: Awesome. Mike, I, uh, you are a wonderful human being and the more time I spend with you, the more respect uh, I, I have for you. And I just can't wait to see what you do as it relates to the industry. I know you're, you're in it to win it over a very long bit of time. And I have no doubt in my mind that will happen for you, for the company you're working for. Uh, I just can't wait to see it. And I can't wait to see you at NAA and shake your hand. Uh, Don't crush it though. I won't. Long, Long overdue though, Mike. I'm excited to just a few weeks away. All right. Awesome. Mike, take care. And for the rest of you, we'll see you next time on Collective Conversations. All right. Chat soon. Bye now.